Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are with us in person, are joining us via live stream, or watching on demand at some later date, we're glad for the opportunity to worship with you today. If you are part of our Dayspring family, welcome home. If you are new to Dayspring, we want you to feel like you've come home as well. When you think about it, it's amazing that through the gift of technology, we can connect to one another regardless of location and worship together. No matter when or where you are watching from, we're glad you are here with us. Here at Dayspring, we believe nothing is more important than your spiritual growth. We are committed to helping you thrive no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. Perhaps you're just curious about church, or maybe you're just looking for some hope. Maybe you don't know why you're here this morning. That's okay. Bring your questions and your doubts. You are welcome here. Your journey matters to us, and we would love nothing more than to walk with you. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church or by checking out our Facebook page. I'm Chris Voigt, lead pastor at Dayspring. I'd love to connect with you if you have questions about today's message or about the next step in your spiritual journey. If you want more information about Dayspring and getting connected into our community, I'd be glad to help you do that as well. To help you get the most out of the message today, we've prepared some discussion questions to help you process what you are learning on your own or with others. You can find the discussion guide in our resources section of our website. And now, let's worship together. Before we get into the word today, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever looked at something and thought about the process that like goes into creating it? Take for example like uh, this microphone that's like taped to my face. I couldn't tell you how to make a microphone, but I can't imagine it's all that easy. Now, one of my favorite shows on TV was a show called How It's Made. And the show takes you behind the scenes of what it takes to create ordinary objects like chairs, light bulbs, or even Coke bottles. And the process usually involves like extremely complex machinery that produces very specific components or products at an incredible speeds. Anyone else seen how it's made? Okay, yeah, yeah, there we go. Now manufacturing, while it's this vast process, vast complicated process, seems to only be the tip of the iceberg when it comes to complicated systems. Take for example, in 2020, on average, uh, around 33,000 people leave on a plane out of PDX every month. Now just imagine with me all the work that goes into making this one transporta transportation system operate successfully. Think of the hours of training that went into certifying the, the flight pilot uh, who's piloting the plane, or even the, the communication uh, between the control tower and that pilot. Or how about this, what about the different aspects to your flight experience? Think about the physics that went into making sure that your, your little package of peanuts that they give you, right, doesn't explode in your face at 35,000 feet in the air. And that's not even to mention the mechanics of the flaps uh, or even the engines that propel you through the air so that you can get safely to your destination. Or how about this, the ships that come and go out of Portland every day. 
When I lived in Astoria, on the radio, on one of the radio stations, they hosted this segment called Ship Talk. And the host would come on and talk about these large container ships that were moored in the Columbia that day. And the host would describe where they came from, where, were they, where they were headed, and what they were carrying. It's really cool. But imagine all the work that it takes to get this massive piece of engineered steel and metal to sail through the sea without sinking. And my last example that got me really thinking about this thought process uh, is something pretty local. Uh, when my wife started her first job with the Marion County, it was a job I had never heard about. Uh, while she has moved on to a different position now, the position is called a care coordinator in the wraparound program. Has anyone heard of that job before? Yeah, right? Not, it's not a very well-known job, and I hadn't. Now, the job is to be a point person for a child, a youth, or even an adult, and their, their, um, their circle of, of care providers, of doctors, mental health providers, things like that. And the discovery of this process led me to think about how complicated truly this like vast network of mental health resources that exist in the world that I had never heard about. And it's truly fantastic that there are all these services that are available, but sometimes the complexities make it that we never hear about them necessarily or even understand the scope of their reach. Now, while understanding or believing something like a system exists, that's great, usually it's only half the story. While you may comprehend that the Space Needle was constructed by highly skilled engineers um, and have kept it standing for 60 years now, it doesn't much, like, do much to quell your fear as you peek over the edge right at the top at 605 feet in the air as you look at the Seattle skyline. I'm guilty of that. I hate heights. <laughs> right? What actually gets me in that elevator to go to the top is faith. Faith that it won't randomly come crashing down in that brief time that I'm up there in the clouds looking at Seattle. See, to grasp the breadth of a system really only helps us so much. I, I can study and research something all I want, but that doesn't mean I'm going to put my faith in it. I can look at those free fall water slides, for example, at, uh, at water parks and like understand that I probably won't die if I go down one, but you'll never catch me going down one. No way, absolutely not going to happen. You see, when faith and understanding combine, we get true belief. So today, as we look at this section of scripture from 1 John, I want to simply share the gospel with you um, from the passage we're going to read today in 1 John. Not that you just understand it, but that you fully believe it, that you put your faith in it. And this message is for those who are seeking, who might not have that faith yet, but also for those who have faith that continue to try and fully devote yourself to Jesus, because let's be honest, we can never have enough gospel in our lives. It's always relevant. It's always impactful if you let it be for yourself. So let's ask God to bless our time together before we go any further. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this, this morning, this opportunity as we learn more about you. God, just enter into our hearts, humble our hearts as we look at what you did for us on the cross and let it sink in beyond just a surface level understanding, but into a faith 
that we can trust you. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. So the entire Gospel of John, the fourth book of the New Testament, is written to swing people to believe in the message of Jesus. The word for believe, which is pistuo, is used no more than 98 times through John's Gospel, penned by the same author who we're studying together called First John, same person. Now he's encouraging his readers to put their entire trust and make a personal commitment to a person. That obviously makes it a very important part of the book. And John's word they use for believe was never meant to be about like grasping a certain way of thinking, just like we kind of talked about. In fact, the Bible says that Satan and his demons believe in God. You see, just because you totally comprehend something doesn't mean you, t- you put your entire faith behind it then that kind of understanding, that's not John's goal in his gospel. No, his goal is for us to find faith, to lead those reading his work to a complete personal commitment. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, it's also on the screens. If you'll turn to me, with me, to 1 John chapter 5, and we'll be looking uh, at verse 1 right off the bat. So 1 John 5, 1 reads, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children, too. All right, so John's gospel account is going to help us today as we look at 1 John. uh, Because this first verse calls to mind an interaction Jesus had with a certain Pharisee uh, about childbirth. Or so this Pharisee thought. In this first verse, we find that everyone who believes is born of God. Now, this series is called, How Do You Recognize a Christian? And John is continuing his investigation right away by defining someone already. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus is what? Born of God. And this phrase, born of God, is mentioned and explained by Jesus, recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, when Jesus and that Pharisee I mentioned, Nicodemus, were having a conversation. So I think it's good to go back and read that conversation and understand truly what is meant, uh, meant by born of God. What is this What does that phrase mean? And you might have some similar questions as to uh, what Nicodemus also had. So, John chapter 3, 1 through 4 says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religion leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? All right, so some confusion there. Uh, Nicodemus gets a little tripped up here by by Jesus' words and his wording here. How can someone who is old redo his birth? You can't go back in if you're out. No one's going to appreciate that. So let's see how Jesus defines this. Yeah, absolutely. Not going to happen. So Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, 
but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Jesus clarifies that getting back into the womb is not what he's talking about. And he answers Nicodemus that being born again means being born of the Spirit. We can all breathe a sigh of relief, right? That's not what it means. So <laughs> Jesus answers that it means we die to ourselves and we're born into a new identity. Again, not literally, but this change of heart will cause real events in a believer's life to occur. And we celebrate this new birth as a church through the celebration and sacrament we call baptism. Baptism is rich with imagery of new birth. How baptism, how baptism works is that the participant who has surrendered his or her life to Jesus is fully submerged in water. This represents a burial at a funeral. Death is pronounced over the old self, what was known as the flesh. Then they're raised out of the water, raised in new life, born of the Spirit, a new creation. So everyone who believes in Jesus has been born again. And baptism doesn't save someone, but it shows that this new birth has taken place in a believer's life. Later we'll see that Jesus himself was baptized as well, so we should follow his example. And similarly, similarly, oh, wow, similarly to what John has mentioned throughout his letter, we become children of God when we are born again. We enter into a relationship with the Father. We get a new dad. This act involves every member of our triune God. Our faith in Jesus by being born again through the Holy Spirit leads us to be children of the Father. We're all adopted. And through this new relationship with the Father, we are now a family member. We're family members with other children of God. Hey, we're all big family. You see, I grew up as an only sibling with some half-siblings who are already out of the house. But just because they aren't from my mom and dad together, do I love them any less? No way, of course not. And our spiritual siblings should be the same way. To John, it is unimaginable that someone would enter into a loving family with God as our Father and hate his fellow brothers and sisters, especially since our Father has given us some rules that, have, that command us to love, which leads us into our next bit of scripture here. So we're going to continue on in 1 John um, 1. We're going to read 2 through 3. 1 John 5, 2 through 3 says, We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. And loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments, they are not burdensome. So this new identity we have, we have, it leads us to love God's commandments because they are from God. If he's dad and he knows what's best for us, then we should follow these rules. So what commandments is John referring to exactly, right? If we're going to follow rules, we need to know what they are. And God way back gave commandments to his, to his people, the Israelites, which was known as the law. And this law was in place so that his people, his children, could live as an example to other nations. So Jesus summarizes this very well back in Matthew um, 22, in verses 37 through 40. 
So this is why he says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So these two laws are interconnected so much that one cannot exist without the other. It's both and, not one or the other. And John says that these commands, that they're not burdensome. And this, the law eventually became this complicated, almost incomprehensible system, like the incredible number of planes that are in the sky right now that weighed on people's shoulders. In fact, that was the purpose of the law. No one could keep it except for the one who was perfect, Jesus. And he reduced it all down to two commandments. Love God, love others. And pastor and author Chuck Swindoll writes this. He says, When motivated by a love enabled by the Spirit, the commands of God are not a burden, but they're joy. They flow from a heart filled with love for the Father and love for his spiritual children. It all flows from love. And like any good dad, my dad had several rules for our family as we were growing up in the same household. And the one that sticks out in my mind was something that we now call screen time. While I didn't own a smartphone because they didn't exist yet, I did have a Nintendo 64. Oh yeah, my parents bought it for me as a birthday gift and I loved that thing. I would play Mario Kart all day long if I went over my allotted time or maybe, maybe disobeyed other rules. My dad would threaten to throw it out of our two-story window. That got me to flip the power switch off really quick and onto my other chores. You see, he limited my time not because he just like wanted to enforce a rule, but because he loved me. And I love this line from Pastor Warren Wiersbe. It says, perfecting love produces joyful obedience. Joyful? While I followed my dad's rules, I wouldn't say I joyfully obeyed, but so why would God's rules be any different? So let's look at this last verse uh, of this section that explains why commandments aren't burdensome. It says this in uh, 5.4, it says, For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. Evil has been defeated. You see, the word John uses here for defeats should sound and look fairly familiar to us Oregonians, especially when it comes to our footwear. In the original Greek, the word is Nike or Nike, which means overcomer or conquerors. What's also interesting here is Nike was the Greek goddess for victory, which John also alludes in this verse as well. John makes it clear. If we are born again, we have overcome Satan and the world. That's really good news, amen? You see, I was just at camp a few weeks ago, and day one, a student was done with the world and its evils. He had seen enough and was interested in what this Jesus guy was all about. He was seeking victory. And personally, I don't think it takes much to look around and see that there has to be a solution to the chaos and pain found in our world. Our victory is found through the Holy Spirit by one thing, faith. 
You see, the camp theme was stand strong, and the speaker hit it hard right out of the gate. As believers, we often go against God's ways and have little faith. You see, it's like we don't trust God, so we pursue other methods of living, other distractions. See, it'd be like if we didn't trust the engineers of the Space Needle, and so for our own personal visit, we hired a construction company to come and reinforce it just for our purposes, right? That isn't faith, that's selfishness. And we need to stand strong and follow God's ways in a world that goes against his ways. You see, I started today by explaining that belief has two parts. One is an understanding of something, and then also having faith in that concept. And as Christians, we don't believe with nothing to back our faith up, right? There are strong evidences, even outside the Bible, that show that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, they're all real. And as we move on to this next section of Scripture, John is going to set up a court scene He's going to bring before us three witnesses to show that our faith in Jesus is not misplaced. And you may have been wondering this whole time, why is there a gavel up here, right? Well, court is in session now. So to begin, let's read 1 John 5, 5 through 12, straight through, and you'll get the concept here. It says, uh, it says, and who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, whose truth confirms it with his testimony. So we have three witnesses. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. So I think it's wise, as we begin this process, to bring before the defense the charges brought against Jesus. Now, John's letter was written partly, this letter of 1 John was written, to combat heresies that circulated during his time. So some of these falsehoods claim that the role of Messiah was simply bestowed upon him at his baptism and then taken away during Jesus' crucifixion. That Jesus was a fallen man, just like you and me, that was just to hold the title of Messiah for a little while, but he wasn't God's son. So to have them tell their version of who Jesus is, the first three defendants John brings against these charges are the spirit, the water, and the blood. Now these three things are things that John himself witnessed earlier uh, while Jesus was still on earth. And you may be reading this list, and you may be confused, right? Water and blood, those things can't talk, John. So how, how can they deny or defend anything? So let's start off things easy with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gave direct testimony to Jesus, being the Son of God, way back in the Old Testament through the prophets. 
And we find the clearest description of this Messiah and how Jesus fulfilled this prophecy in Isaiah 53. So if we turn there to Isaiah 53, 3 through 6, this is Isaiah's description. He said, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our back on him, and, he looked the, and we looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. When we put him through his troubles, were, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Pretty vivid description, pretty accurate description of who this Messiah was. And we know that it was Jesus who was whipped, pierced, and who died on a cross for our sins. There is no doubt that Jesus fulfilled this role of Messiah. And while this is absolutely true, I don't think this is exactly what John is referring to here, right? There's a more direct interaction that happens during Jesus's life. And if we go back to John's gospel, we can see the, rec- the record of Jesus's actual baptism. And in fact, the Spirit was present uh, all the way back in John of Jesus's baptism, So John says in uh, John 1, 32, it says, Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who I will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. Chuck Swindoll writes in his commentary, he says, not only did the Spirit alight upon Jesus at his baptism in a visible form, but the Spirit also continued to work astonishing miracles during Jesus's ministry. So not only did John witness this incredible, miraculous event involving the Spirit, but he was also present to see the testimony of the water. And if you haven't figured out, that the water is in reference to Jesus' baptism. So how did this water testify? Well, we need to go back to Matthew, uh, Matthew's gospel to read about this, uh, this series of events. If we go back to uh, Matthew 3, 3 through 16 and 16, it says, And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. See, there are a few times in Scripture when God actually speaks from heaven, and when he does, you would better pay attention. You see, I've known uh, many people in my life that ask God to literally speak to them. Nothing, it comes in a time of desperation. God, if, you, if I only knew you were there, then I would know you were real. Well, here we have a documented, historically accurate depiction of when God spoke, and he said, Jesus is his son. See, if we put so much faith in God's literal voice, 
We should believe him here, amen? Jesus is the Savior of the world. Are you convinced yet? Because that's two witness testimonies so far. But not only does the Spirit testify about Jesus and God through Jesus' baptism, but the blood does as well. And there's no doubt that the mention of blood points to Jesus' crucifixion, where his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So who testifies for the blood? Well, again, it's John himself. He was there when Jesus led the first communion service, where he poured wine into a cup and said that this is his blood poured out. John was outside the city of Jerusalem where Jesus hung, dying by one of the most painful ways to die. He witnessed a Roman soldier pierce Jesus' side where blood and water came out of him. And this is also mentioned in John's own gospel as well. He was there. And this eyewitness testimony from John proved that the false teachers were absolutely wrong. All they had were their own ideas, their own interpretations, and agendas. But John, John had proof. Jesus did die on the cross and had a real body and was the Messiah. He was fully God, fully man, and fully paid the price for us. John wasn't the only one present at the crucifixion. In addition to other people, I imagine that all sorts of spiritual beings were present. Were present. Angels, demons, perhaps the enemy himself uh, were there. They, and to witness the event that would change the world. Tombs crumbled that day. Darkness overcame the land. All this led to a centurion declaring that truly this man is the Son of God. It was an incredible sight to behold. And I'm sure the Spirit was there as well. So, if we read in um, 1 John 5, 6, the latter half of that verse, it says, And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. The Spirit, the Spirit is truth. The Scriptures are inspired from the work of the Holy Spirit. And And the Holy Spirit was in the writer's who, who wrote the word. So the Spirit testifies it about all of this, about all of this, all, all of Jesus through the word. Now these testimonies all point to the truth, that Jesus was really the Son of God, fully God, fully man. Not some ghost like Casper, or simply fulfilling, fulfilling some role that was placed on him. He was God's Son. So if we continue in First uh, John 5, verse 9, it says this. It says, Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God, and God has testified um, about his Son. You see, all three testimonies that we looked up have, can hold up to scrutiny. I would say, obviously, Otherwise, I don't think we would all be here this morning. If it was false, then we'd throw it out as just some story, and it would be just that. It would be just a story, not truth. But since they all point to the same truth, we can have assurance that all three aspects are true. All three testimonies are true. Verse 10 says this, All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. 
You see, so far in John's gospel and what we understand here is light or it's darkness. The switch is on or it's off. There's no gray area when it comes to the gospel. And as John has taught us, there were false teachers then and there are now. There are many, even in Christianity, who want to water this message down. There are voices that proclaim that there are many ways to God or that God won't actually send someone to hell just because you don't believe in him. You see, when they preach this or someone believes in that kind of gospel, they're really calling God a liar. Full stop. God has revealed everything through his Son and through his word, which are his testimony. Adding to that testimony or subtracting or changing that is blasphemy. And I said I was going to share the gospel with you, the true gospel, and I pray that you have understood the good news just from God, uh, John's words already, that it's all about Jesus. It's not about us. Our only job is to believe. Not only do we have faith in him, but we also have the evidence and the truth to back up that faith. So here in these last few verses is the clearest way to communicate the gospel in all of scripture, in my opinion. John has thought through, processed, and heard it so much that he can make it easy. So he says this in 11 through 12. It says, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. This eternal life isn't something to be won, or it's not something to be earned. It's past tense in this verse, meaning that those who have the Son have access to eternal life. To be saved, you need Jesus, plain and simple. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And once you have it truly, you can't lose it. It cannot be clearer. If you have the Son, trusting him alone for salvation, you have life. So do you? Are you born into the family of God? And if you aren't a believer and you're watching this morning or you're here, we want you to be a part of our family. Enter into a personal relationship with Jesus who wants nothing more than to have an authentic relationship with you so that you can be saved. If you're a born-again believer watching online and here, we, I think we need to have a family meeting kind of as a global body because I feel like if you're an outsider looking in, you might see things that could make you think that we really didn't like each other. All right, the season has been tough, even here at Dayspring. So my encouragement is to stay strong. Let's continue to love each other as we continue to discover what God has for us as a body. Brothers, sisters, love one another. And here's some simple ways to do this in a local context, right? Don't put up with gossip about other believers, right? I've served in ministry for about 10 years now at different churches, and every church I have been to has some sort of problems with gossip, right? Like, did you hear that the elders are thinking of painting the church pink? Like, what are they thinking? Or, man, that, that, that member, that church member Joel, he, sh he just bought a Tesla, right? He should have given some of that money to tie to the poor instead of spending it on himself, right? Don't do that. I have participated in that kind of junk in the past when I was younger and only hardened my heart and did nothing of benefit. And also, let's serve each other. 
Maybe that looks like checking in on people here at Dayspring uh, or talking to people in the lobby. For those watching online, we have a fantastic online community on Facebook through Facebook groups that can be used not just to generate discussion, but truly encourage each other. Use your words to bless someone. As children of God, we are also overcomers. This changes everything. We no longer have to live in defeat over our temptations or our failures. Right? When you feel buried, you not only have a body of believers that love, love you, but you have a Savior who is always, always there for you. And so do you actually live this way? Or are you giving into old vices that are synonymous with the old flesh? Right? If you're a believer, you don't have to play a guessing game about whether you're saved or you're not saved. Your conversion on its own is a testimony that Jesus is real and reigning today. So how are you passing that on? Have you had a gospel conversation with a fellow believer or someone who doesn't believe? And maybe it's time to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Jesus didn't come to make us nicer or better people. He came to radically transform every aspect of our lives. Think about it. As complicated as all the examples so far I've listed throughout this message, our lives can be pretty complicated. How does Jesus transform the way you think about work or rest or how you talk to your kids or you have a spiritual conversation with someone? How does that all work? Maybe, just maybe, right? Uh, you should talk to one of our amazing students about Jesus. Right? They need spiritual mentors in their lives and you could be that person for them. See, when faith and understanding combine, we get true belief. Faith is trusting that the nurse gave you to the right parents when you were born. Understanding is through is looking at character traits and physical features that you actually look like your parents. Belief is living securely as their child, confident that you belong. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. So go, believe, and share. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, gosh, Thank you for this family of believers that, God, we get to meet here every Sunday as, as this unique family with you as our Father. So, God, I pray we live like that. That, God, we not only understand who you are, we don't just understand about your Son, but, God, that we, that if we take it deeper. We have this deep, under, uh, deep faith in you. So, God, continue to foster that faith in us as we continue to live as your children. God, help us go out from this place and share that message with others, this gospel message that others need in their lives and that the world desperately needs. God, as children here, we pray this all to you as your children. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us in worship today. Whether you are part of our Dayspring family or just joined us for the first time, we'd love to walk with you on your spiritual journey. Feel free to drop us an email if you have questions or want more information. For those of you who choose to invest financially at Dayspring, thank you for your generosity and your commitment to helping others grow. Every gift, large or small, matters, and God never ceases to surprise us with what He is able to do because of your commitment to following Him in every part of your life. 
If you're our guest today, please know that we consider your time a gift to us and this service our gift to you. There is no expectation or obligation for you to give. For those of you who would like to partner financially, there are three easy ways for you to give. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen. And for those of you who still use them, you can also mail a check to us. We'd like to thank those of you who subscribe, like, and share these messages with your friends. If you are listening on our podcast, feel free to leave a review. More of Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems, and we appreciate your help inviting others to check him out. We'll see you next week.